Um, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. I want to share with you something that has been really helping me for a long time now, but particularly this week, I really lent into this truth and and just enjoyed it again. And, and um, I thought, I don't think I've ever stopped to actually preach this. And so I just had it in my heart. I thought, I should should share this. It's uh, something that God has blessed me with. And, you know, this is a revelation. It's not new or fresh in terms of, you might already know it, but it's just something that I believe is very, very helpful in our walk with God. But I just need to start with a little bit of background. And so we're going to go back to Exodus and um, chapter 33. Exodus 33, powerful time where um, Moses said something. He said, I just want to, I just want to see your glory. Moses, I want to see your glory. I want, to be, I want to have the manifest of your glory. And the background of this is quite interesting in that a number of chapters earlier, God called Moses to come up to the mountain and he was going to reveal and give to him what we call the old covenant. It was the covenant based on the law, the giving of 10 words plus a lot of other um, instructions and commandments, but boiled down into what we call Ten Commandments, but the literal Hebrew is ten words, ten defining words of how God wanted them to live because he had already established and started a covenant with Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I'm gonna, I want to bless the nations. I want to bless all the nations. And I want to do it through your seed, speaking ahead to Jesus because he could see a time when Jesus would come and establish his brand new covenant, a covenant where God is able to connect, restore people, bring life to them, change them from the inside out, and go take it to all the, the world. And so he's got this plan, but 400 years after the time of Abraham, he says, I need to put a covenant in place just to hold you until Jesus comes. I need something to hold and establish this people so that you can walk in my blessing and you can have my... Uh, uh, my presence amongst you. You can be my special people. I'll um, lead you. But I'm just going to, I need you to, to establish this covenant, which, so we call that the old covenant. It's the holding covenant. It's the first covenant before the new covenant comes. There were other covenants. There was covenant with Noah. There's covenant with David. But this is the covenant we call the old covenant. And um, so he calls Moses. He said, come on up. And he, and and you go back to Exodus 19, you can see there's a whole lot of, there's, there's smoke and there's lightning and there's thunder and it's powerful. And Moses, God says to Moses, go down and tell the people, draw a line, do not come up. If you come up to this mountain, my glory will, you know, my, my power will just overwhelm you and destroy you. So you stay down there. I'm going to bring you up. And he speaks to Moses. He gives him the 10 words. He says he takes two um, stone tablets that God says he formed, he gave, these stone tablets, and he wrote on them. He wrote the 10 words front and back on these 10 stone tablets, gave him a lot of other instructions, and then he said, now go down to the people. And he says, by the way, because you've been up here, and you remember, they've seen him go up in this, this most amazing, powerful display, the majesty and the greatness of God, 
but it's been 40 days. You know, 40 days is a long time. And they're like, and then eventually one says to the other one, is he coming back? You know, he, maybe he, he went into this power. Maybe he's disintegrated. Maybe we're standing here waiting for someone who is just not there anymore. How long are we going to wait? And then a bigger question, not only how are we going to wait, um, how are we going to go into the promised land? How are we going to go through? So they come up with a plan and they say, we, we need to make ourselves our own God because it looks like Moses is gone. We've lost him. We need to make our own God. So they, they, they bring together all the um, their gold and they, they form their own calf idol out of this and um and Aaron is given the job of doing this it just goes so south so quickly it's just amazing it's weird isn't it isn't it weird how on a sunday morning you feel like you could eat the back off a chair and nothing will stop you in trusting god and that god's so good but it can be 24 hours later when you hit with something. It's like, where is God? <laughs> where is he when I need him type thing? It's sort of, you can be in one time feeling so strong. And um, here it was, you think, oh, these. I'm just sort of saying, sometimes you can point the finger at them and say, you lousy Israelites, couldn't you hold on? But just realize they, they just gave up. And um, so Aaron created this calf, and they're all worshipping it. And God's up giving the Ten Commandments to Moses, and he says, uh, you better go down there. I think I'm going to wipe them out because <laughs> they have made their own God. And so Moses has to have a, don't wipe them out. This is your special people. I intercede on their behalf. So God says, that's good. That's, exact, that's sort of what I was looking for. Thank you. I will not wipe them out. So Moses comes down in Exodus 32, and um, verse um, um, verse 19 says, And it came out as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from these, his hands and shattered them before the man. These are God's, God made these. He didn't, he didn't make them. God made the God formed these stones, put the words on them, front and back, gave them to Moses. He comes down, he's so mad, he throws them down and smashes them into smithereens. And then he's very upset. In chapter 33, we have God says to Moses, okay, I won't kill them. He says, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Verse, 30, uh, verse 2 says, I will send an angel before you. And drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Um, and that sounds like a wonderful promise. I will send an angel before you to clear the way. But Moses is horrified. He said, no, no, I don't want no angel. I want you. I want you to go with us. You've been with us. I don't want, what's this, I will send an angel. You've been with us. And God says, well, no, I'm just going to give you an angel now. And so Moses intercedes. He goes in before God. And... Um, Verse 15 of Exodus 33 has this most amazing statement. Then Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, 
do not lead us up from here. In other words, we are not moving. I don't want, I'm not going to lead these people forward unless it's you. I need you. I want you. And um, God said, verse, and then verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. So this amazing turnaround, God says, all right, I will go with you. Moses, Moses is interceded for this people. He wants God. He's so hungry for God. And then, verse 18, Moses says, I pray, show me your glory. He says, he's been up on the mountain. He's had supernatural um, Ten Commandment stones given to him. He's seen God's manifestation of his glory. He's been standing in the tent face to face with God. He's got this most amazing relationship, and yet he says, God, I want to see your glory. And so God says, all right, I'm going to show you my glory, but you're going to have to just stand and I'll, I'll pass it by you and you can see the back because otherwise it would destroy you. And so God says, I, I will come and I'll make all my goodness pass before you. That's interesting. Moses said, I want to see your glory. And God said, I'll show you my goodness. It's, they're, they're linked. God's glory, God's, God's good, goodness. Um, so verse 34. It's funny. This is, I sort of find this funny. God says, now before we do this, you know, it's like, where's my commandments that I gave you? Remember those stone commandments I made? God made the stone. God hand wrote on them. Um, he said, um, well, I'll need to write them again, won't I? So he says to Moses, cut out, this is verse 1 of chapter 34, cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones. He's like, Moses, you, got, you have to go make these ones yourself. I made the first lot. You need to go and make I don't know why. It was kind of, I don't know whether God intended him to smash the stone tablets. Like, you can make them this time. I'll write on them. You've got you to clean them up and make them. So he's got to get two brand new stone tablets, like the former ones. And then God says, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the former tablets, which you shattered. Yeah. <laughs> In case you hadn't remem remembered it. Um, so by, be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. And no one else is to come up, just you. And um, so he cut the two, stab, uh, the two stone tablets like the other ones and he comes up. And verse 5 says, he The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of Yahweh. Then Yahweh passed in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, keeps loving kindness to thousands. Who would like to be right there, right then? The glory and the majesty, this is the most amazing experience. He's, he's, this is what he's hungered for, and the presence and the glory of God upon him. And um, so... God says, so God recuts the covenant in terms of the stone, gives it to him, and in verse 27, um, he says, I made a, I've made a covenant with you and Israel. So he was there, verse 28, the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink any water, so it was supernatural. He was in the presence of God to such an extent that his body didn't even need the normal processes of water. It was something supernatural. He was there, 
And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. And it came about, verse 29, when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of this, his speaking with him. He'd had such an encounter with God, his skin was glowing and he had no idea. Now, I actually did some research. They, there's some Japanese scientists did a study in 2009. They, they reviewed it in a um, scientific journal in 2016. You can go and Google it. That's how I find these things out. It's very easy to do scientific research these days. You just type it in and let the, let the, the Google do the work for you. Um, because we, we, there's, we, skin can reflect light. We know that. You know, if I shine a torch on you, I can see. And if you've got healthy, vibrant skin, you reflect more light than if you've got unhealthy skin. That probably wouldn't surprise anybody. But they locked these people up in a dark room for three days, three nights. They let them sleep and everything like that. But where there was absolutely no light and no chance of any reflection, any like that. And they, they, um, they did tests on and they actually found that there is a tiny emittance of light that comes from the body. And they found it from the face, not talking about heat, not talking about heat, but actual light. The body has a, a process and um, it, more during the day and more from the face. But and it's one, it's one one thousandth of an amount that you can see with your natural eye. That's why you can't see it. But you're shining a little, little bit. Because I was thinking about this. How does, how does your skin glow? I just, you know, I just think, I know God made it happen, but it was built in to mankind to glow. We're actually, we're actually designed to glow. And whatever happened to Moses, just put that on steroids. And his body was glowing. And um, he, his skin, so not, not reflecting, actually glowing, luminescent and, and, and bringing light. And um, so verse 30, when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. They're like, whoa, he's glowing. Nowadays, we would think you might be radioactive and don't want to get too close. Obviously, they didn't know that, but they know something. he's about to. <laughs> they were scared to come near him. Um, so Moses speaks to them and verse 33 when Moses finished speaking with them he put a veil over his face he covered it up because it was causing so much concern to people and he would cover it up but then whenever he would go verse 34 whenever he would go before the Lord into the tent and minister to the Lord he would take the veil off again and when he would come out to the children of Israel he'd put the the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. What an am How amazing is being in the presence of God, that this experience that Moses had? That he went in and had such a revelation and such a, um, an encounter with God that he actually physically glowed and it was so strong that it caused people to freak out. And then he would put a veil over his face. Now, Paul says later on to the Corinthians, he says one of the things was that the veil, um, from Paul's perspective, not only was protecting the people from being fearful, he said 
it also um, hid the fact that from the moment that Moses went out from the presence of God, his face would be shining, but then it would be dissipating over time. His, the, the, the glow would be slowly getting less. And he said he'd put the veil over, and people couldn't see the dissipating um, glow coming. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I just want us to see what Paul says about this. And I wanted you to get a picture of just how magnificent and wonderful it was for Moses to go up there and receive this old covenant, which we call, and so much was happening, and he was having such an encounter with God, and the glory was being manifested, and the glory was being shown, and yet Paul says, that's amazing what God would do with an old covenant. What would he do with a, the new covenant? If that's how he would give what we call the old, what would he do with the new? Because the old wasn't even a covenant that could really compare with the new in any sense of, you know, we have old and new. You know, every year you have an old, a phone. You know, if you've got an iPhone, they're up to iPhone 15. Is that right, anyone? iPhone 15, which means the iPhone 14 is now old. You know, the old iPhone 14, what a lot of rubbish that one is. You know, you need the iPhone 15 because that's got a bigger camera and a better, bit more memory and, you know, a bit faster. And so we have this sense of old and new, one being a little, an update of the other. But it's just sort of a, a transition. And then next year, there'll be the iPhone 16. And the old 15 will be like this piece of junk. What could I, you know, who would ever like an iPhone? You know? And... Um, and sometimes we can think the old covenant was like version one and the, the new covenant version two. It's just an update. So different. So different. The, new, the old covenant was simply something God put in place to hold the people whilst he could take that covenant which he had spoken of to Abraham and he could bring it into full, full fulfillment with Jesus. When Jesus was with his disciples and he takes the, the, the bread and the cup and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is what it's all about. This is what I've been coming here to establish. But the old covenant, it's talked about as a shadow. It's just a reflection. It's there, it's there to, it's, it does its job, but its job is never to save you. Its job is never to, to release you. Its job is never to get you into heaven. That's not what it does. It can't do it. Its job is to show you your need for a saviour. The job is to reveal to you that we are actually fallen creatures. The job is to remind you that <laughs> um, without being fully saved, you're just in the same situation over and over again. It's called a, a ministry of condemnation, Paul calls it here in 2 Corinthians. It, it, it reminds you, as much as it reminds you that God is... Um, um, you've got a sacrifice to cover your blood, uh, cover your sin. It's actually reminding you that it's only covering; it's not dealing with your sin. Because next year, you've got you turn around. It's one of the greatest revelations I had was when the Israelites would stand at the Great Day of Atonement when they would, you know, um, sprinkle the blood and they'd, they'd lay hands on the goat and send some goat off with the sins of Israel. And it was. Yes, we're all cleansed, we're all covered, and you would turn to the person next to you and you would say these most famous words, see you again next year, which is the most horrible thing because what it means is we're just covered for another 12 months, but we're not fixed. 
We've got to come and do it all again. You know, they did not present Collingwood yesterday with the Premiership Cup. You think, well, what did they get? They got the 2023 Premiership Cup. Because come 1st of January next year, all those same players will now have to be out on the training track during their pre-season and, and getting fit and getting ready because they will not be called the Premiers for 20, 2024 based on what they did this year. It just has its moment of glory. <laughs> but they've got to go and do it all over again. And then next year, they've got to do it all over again. And they've got to do it all over again. The old covenant was just an image. It was a picture of what had to happen. And they, it, it showed it's, it's not the real. It's not eternal. It's not forever. It's just for a moment, it's just to show us our need for Jesus. It's, it's a, um, Paul called it a ministry of death and a ministry of condemnation. It was just to reveal to us our need for him. But that there is coming the covenant, the New Test Testament, which is that Jesus in his own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats, which could never cleanse anybody, but the blood of the Son of God who would take away our sins and he would work in our hearts. The old covenant was written where? Some blocks of stone that could be smashed and have to be rebuilt. But do you know where the new covenant is written? Not in stone. It gets written in our hearts, right into our spirit man. It gets written on that which is eternal and takes us into eternity. It is so different. Now, if that which was only going to last a short time, that which could never bring us into true life, which was actually a ministry of condemnation because the very process condemned us. But we need to come to that new covenant. If that covenant came with such an, an, such an outpouring of the glory and presence of God that Moses shone, Paul says, what have we got? What's the glory that God's got for us? We shouldn't look back at Moses and go, oh, wow, how cool is that? How amazing is that? How, look at what Moses got. Moses looks at us and goes, oh, I wish I had what they have. Oh, because this is an image. You see, Moses would see it and his face would shine, but then he would walk away. And it would begin to dissipate because it was an external impartation that affected him, not something that was in him that would regenerate and keep alive. And so let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And Paul just pulls on some of these things. That's why I had to give you the background because he writes to them with all this knowledge and he's sort of making reference to it, but he's not doing it in, in a teaching way. He's sort of, I, I like Paul, you know, I like, like, you know, I like reading his letters. He, he does things, he, he goes sideways at times and makes his point, and then he grabs something over here and throws it in, and, you know, it, it's, it's good, but it, throw, it does confuse some of the, the, um, the scholars <laughs> because he will make a statement here, and they go, where did he get that from, and how does this apply here? Because he's a bit like a preacher, 
Sometimes my one statement doesn't match my second statement, but they're both true. I'm just sort of grabbing stuff from here and a bit of an illustration there. And how could you, how could you compare the, the new covenant to the Collingwood Premiership Cup? Well, I don't really, but it was just a good illustration, you know what I mean? I'm not trying to say that is it. I'm just saying it gives you a good picture for this preaching. And so, so Paul does that. He grabs a bit here and he grabs a bit there and scholars are trying to put it all in nice, neat little boxes and their heads... Yeah, I, I love it, you know. I, anyway, I, I won't take time to show some of the examples of that, but I, I do enjoy seeing their heads explode. Trying to work out, how's he doing this? But you've got to just go with it. Just have all the background and then go with the flow. He's enjoying all these things. So he says, are we beginning, verse 1, to commend ourselves again? Or do you need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? In fact, is that, I'm going to read with you to make sure I'm reading the same translation. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need to some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter. Written in our hearts, known and read by all men. He says, I don't need something on paper, I've got you. Being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of the human heart. He's, you, you are got the life of God. Whoa, I almost got so excited, I almost jumped into you. <sighs> Oh, this is getting so exciting. Okay. God supernaturally wrote on stone. It was amazing. But now who's writing? The Holy Spirit is writing on our hearts. He has taken the new covenant and written. You have something of the new covenant. It's been written into you by the Holy Spirit. Next verse. Such confidence we have through Christ towards our God, uh, toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. All right, I want you, you you've start, this is another time reference. I want you to think the old, the letter, the stone, but in the new, it's what? The Spirit. Okay, I want you to see how often the reference to the Spirit comes up. The old covenant was referenced by what was done in stone, practical, outside. But the new one, and not just by in our spirits, but by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, act, is working here. For the letter kills. Talking about the letter, talks about the law kills. But the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, that old covenant, that law, in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation, that old law, has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Glory versus abounding in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case had no, has no glory. It's, a, it's, a, it's what Moses experiences says is so small compared to us, it's as if there was no glory there at all. How would you like to say? The glory that he saw on the mountain, God passing by, the presence of God, glowing face, Paul says it's almost as if that's not worth counting compared with 
the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. One has a time that has to be repeated. That which remains means it's eternal. All right? That which is eternal. It's God. Our covenant doesn't need to be repeated. Our covenant. Jesus doesn't have to come again. It's just a once-off, done, finished. That's why they had the bulls and goats and every, the, every year. And that's why if he sinned, you had to take a turtle dove and do this and that. And if you had to, you had to do it over and over and because it never satisfied. It was just a covering which gave you a picture of what would happen when Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, came once and for all to die for our sins. Hallelujah. Next verse, thank you. Therefore, having such a hope, Having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. It, it, once you get the revelation of this, it should have a result. And are, and, and, and are not like Moses, who, uh, sorry, can we go back one verse? So therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Next one now. And we are not, so we're bold. We're not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. So he's, put, he's, saying, you know, he's saying, you know what, this Moses thing, he put it on his face, but you know what, it was also hiding the fact that it was fading. We don't have to be concerned that we're fading. We don't have to be concerned that we're fading. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. Now, I'm like, Paul, what are you talking about here? He's like, you know what a veil is like? And he just goes sideways for a bit because he's talking about veils and he gets an idea about veils. That's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't think you have to tie it all together. He's just thinking about veils. You know, the Israelites got a veil over their eyes today. <laughs> Nothing to do with the glory. It says they've still got that veil. The old covenant came with a veil. He said the old covenant had a veil. And it's like the Pharisees have still got a veil. And the old covenant, the Jews have still got a veil. They can't see it because they've got their veil on. So he just, just sort of, yeah, it just makes sense to him at the time. So that's why I'm, boom, how does this work with all the other stuff? It doesn't. It just is a good idea. But get in the spirit of it. Just enjoy it. Go with the flow of it. He's saying the old covenant has veils. Old covenant has veils. New covenant, no veils. No veils in the new covenant. All right? I'm not saying that someone who's a bride and comes to, you've got a veil. You're in the old covenant. I'm not saying if you've got a veil. I'm saying the new covenant is not a veiled covenant. Does that say? Paul says, we don't have a veil. Moses had a veil. We don't need a veil. For, but, my, uh, but to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, stop there for a second. Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, Paul now switches back to the other type of veil. You know, there's a veil that stops you from seeing. There's a veil that stops the glory from being seen. Right? And Paul just jumps in between. He doesn't care. It makes sense both ways. But listen to what he says. Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, if, if we just gave people that verse, who is the Lord? Jesus is the Lord. Turn to Jesus and your veil will be taken away. Correct? Everyone's looking at me like, mm, what am I 
don't, don't, I'm scared to make too much commitment because, you know, never, he's setting me up and I don't know how. <laughs> but, you know, you can put this on a sticker, turn to the Lord and the veil will be taken away. Turn to Jesus, the Lord, and your veil will be taken away. True, correct, all right. But think back, who was doing the writing on the heart? No, it was not God, it was the Spirit. Remember, I actually gave you that clue. Remember the Spirit. Who's writing on your heart? The Spirit. Who is putting it into your heart? The Spirit. The work of the new covenant is the Spirit. God, on the stones, to on your heart, he sends the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to work in the heart. That's why he's come. That's why he's here. That's part of his reason here. You know, the Holy Spirit was sent with a mission to come. Part of his mission is to the covenant into our hearts. There's a lot of things he was sent to do. He's sent to take the things of Jesus and show them to us. He was sent to, one of the, and this is one of my favorites, he was sent to bring us a taste of heaven and give it to us now in preparation for heaven. We have a part of, see, the heaven, heaven is the Spirit's domain. And where's the Holy Spirit? In here. You have a piece of heaven. And when I say peace, I'm not making the Spirit. I'm just saying he has brought the atmosphere of heaven to give you a foretaste. He's in you. You can already sense heaven. That's what he's designed for. He's designed to come and to bring something of the future. He's come to write on your heart. Whose job was it to write on your heart? The Spirit. Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Next verse. Now the Lord is the Spirit. He's talking specifically not about the Lord Jesus Christ getting us saved. He's talking about when we turn to the Lord, and, he, and he's saying in this case, he said, I'm talking about the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror or becoming a mirror, it's sort of an unclear what, how you can take this, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. One of the Holy Spirit's jobs, you know, when I say job, that makes it sound like, you know, got to do this. It's just like it's what he has come to do is to put the new covenant in our hearts and then show us God in a way far greater than Moses ever saw. Because Moses only ever saw it from the outside and came home with stone tablets with the commandments written on the out. The Holy Spirit's job is to put it on the inside and give you a revelation of God's glory. And he said, when you get that revelation of glory, you will shine on the inside. You are meant to get such a revelation, it hits you and it transforms you from the inside out. That's why he's here. That's why he's here. That's why he's been sent. He's been sent with a mission. That's his plan and his purpose. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 11. This, the Holy Spirit comes. Holy Spirit comes. What's the first thing he does? Fire, wind, 
or the sound of wind at least. Fire comes down on each of them. And all of a sudden, what are they doing? Speaking with tongues. Brand new. Something just never happened before. Yeah, you know, it's amazing, isn't it? Like it's, we sort of, yeah, but it's just nowhere in the old covenant do we have anything like this. It's just something new, brand new. When did it come? It came with the Spirit. It's a brand new functionality that came with the Spirit. First thing he does is they're all speaking in tongues. But thankfully, we have a whole lot of translators standing around, hearing them in their own language. Medes and Persians and this and this and this and this from all the people. They're hearing them. And Acts chapter 2, verse 11. says, we hear them in our own tongues and they can translate what they're hearing. The Holy Spirit comes and they're just speaking out of tongues. They've got no idea what they're saying. What is the Holy Spirit saying? Think about it. What could he have said? I'm here. I'm the Holy Spirit and I've come and I'm doing, going to do this and I'm going to do that. He's not talking about himself. He's not saying, hey, I'm the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. I'll explain what it is. He doesn't even, he just, what does he say? It says, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. The Greek word mighty deeds is one word, megalios. Mega, big, megalios, magnificent. It does, it's not actually literally mega, big deeds. It's just the magnificence, but it's implied of what he does, but it goes beyond what he does. And you have to realize, because I was like, you know, is that exactly what, you know, I'm thinking Holy Spirit, is that exactly what they were saying? He's saying, this is how they were describing what he was doing. You understand that? They hear 120 people filled with the Holy Spirit giving vent out to this pure flow of the Holy Spirit. And what's he doing? Speaking about how majestic and wonderful God is. How awesome God is. How great God is. Look at what an amazing God. Holy Spirit comes. First thing he does, gets 120 people just to tell you how amazing God is. How good he is and what he does and the power of God and the greatness of God. Because he says, I'm here and this is what I do. <laughs> this is what I do. I just tell people about how amazing and awesome and wonderful God is. I'm here to show you the glory of God. And then I want you to see that glory and I want it to transform you from the inside out. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. Now, there's other reasons why he's here. You know, he's, he, so we can be witnesses. And so we can be empowered, and so we can do all sorts. But I'm just saying, I want you to see one of his works here is to come and tell you how amazing God is. You know, this says the spirit of prophecy is the spirit of Jesus. You know, when people prophesy, it's got exalts Jesus. That's how you know it's the Holy Spirit, because he's talking about how good Jesus is. <laughs> the Holy Spirit doesn't say, oh, I'm amazing, I'm awesome. He says, I'm here to tell you how good God is and how wonderful Jesus is. No one can say Jesus is Lord with that fullness and real expression unless the Holy Spirit's working, Paul says. 
That's what they, when, when, you're, when you're speaking by the Spirit, you're going to be saying things like, Jesus is Lord. Paul said in, um, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, um, oh, I won't turn it, you can, he says, uh, speaking, I love to speak in tongues and I love to speak in English. I love to sing in tongues and I love to sing in English. Not, not two separate things. He's implying, I love to take that which is the tongue and by the Spirit speak that which is in English. I love to sing that which is in my tongue and sing that which is in English. And Paul's talking about, he says, I, I do this. He says, I, I speak more in tongues in private than anybody. But he said, I'm not talking about doing that in public because when we're in public, you need the interpretation because my tongue doesn't help you without the interpretation. But he said, when I'm by myself, I will speak in tongues more than anyone. He speaking in tongues was just what he did. But not, I don't believe just speaking in tongues because he talked about speaking in tongues and speaking in English. Singing in tongues, singing in English. How did Paul get such revelations of God? I think he spent time letting the Holy Spirit minister through him and tell the wonderful things of God and then just ask to see, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? What are we singing about, Holy Spirit? What are we speaking about? And I have found, it's been one of my joys, is just to ask the Holy Spirit, can I have the English? And can you just show me how good God is? Because I've discovered the Holy Spirit. This is not like, oh, yeah, um, oh, I better look it up. Something good about Jesus. It's just what he does. He, he thinks... Uh, there's no competition. There's no sense of, you know, one, two, three, I'm the third one. <clears throat> I get the, th you know, it's always Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, you know, why can't it be Holy Spirit, Son, and Father, you know? You know, there's no sense of that. There's no, there's no you know, it, it sounds ridiculous, but I'm just saying. People like, you know, we, we, you know sometimes I'm, I'm positioning them. And the Holy Spirit, there's no position. And I tell you something, my understanding is the Holy Spirit thinks Jesus is amazing. He just, and he knows him like no one else. And the Father God is so wonderful and awesome. And this salvation is just amazing. This work that he's done is just, and there's a part where he's like, just ask me. I'd love to share. I'd love to let you know something. I'd love you to get caught up in this. I'd love you to give you a fresh revelation of it. I'd love to show you something you've never seen. And I'm not talking about, oh, we need new revelation because it sort of makes us more special. I'm just saying, I want the inexhaustible goodness and greatness of God to give me that fresh honor that I can come before him holy, 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 and just see him in his magnificence. See the, the megalious works of God. Give expression to how good he is and that, You know, the Holy Spirit's like, you know when Jesus left heaven because God sent him? He left heaven to come here. He's like, Jesus is awesome. You'll never know how much he left. Jesus. And Paul says, if we get that revelation, it becomes transforming to us that we become transformed and we, like Jesus, begin to think of others like Jesus thinks. And we are now trying to see how we can help others and do put others ahead of ourselves because we've had this revelation 
we see that in the glory it transforms us and we become that and becomes the glory begins to shine through us it becomes a part of who we are and what we're doing But oh, the Holy Spirit wants us to become hungry for that revelation and just to see what He wants to show and to become a part of what He wants to do and to get a glory and a revelation of what He wants. He's he's got so much revelation, so much more revelation than I've had revelation. So I'm not even talking about spending a bit more time praying in tongues. I'm saying pray in tongues and ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you and then speak, sing in tongues and sing the revelation. On purpose, say, Holy Spirit, I'm just, show me about if you want, If you want to get, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know whether I'm over speaking here. If you want to get the Holy Spirit excited, just ask for a fresh revelation about how good Jesus is. And you're like, oh. <laughs> this is what I love. This is what I love. That's why I'm here to write this on your heart, give you revelation. Hallelujah. Um, I don't know how many with the worship team. Yeah, we're good. We've we sang a song a little bit earlier. I really appreciate, really, really appreciate that. How I'll, I don't have to tell our worship team to get a song. That matches it. I just sort of wait to see. Oh, there it is. <laughs> There's this, the, um, the song we had a little earlier. Maybe it was the last or second last. But talking about wonder, I can see the, the bridge. Well, that's not very clear, but it's big in my heart and it looks really. I remember seeing um, when Priya was leading us. I think it was the last song or the second last song. Last song. Can we just put the words for that up, Josh, and scroll through, and I'll tell you when I see it. Yeah, scroll through. I think it's the bridge. There's a bridge coming up, maybe, or keep going. The chorus. Go to the chorus. There we go. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are. Next one, fine. Fill me with your heart. Lead me in your love to those around me. I want us to sing this chorus. I want you just to take a moment and make this a prayer, a yearning, a desire. They say, Holy Spirit, have your way in me and show me the glory of God. Show me how good God is. Show me his wonder. And out of that, I expect to be transformed and I expect to be better and have the spirit of Jesus and the life of Jesus flow through me. Can we just sing this now? Thank you, Brian.